Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Together. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, these, uh, these verses, we've already kind of walked through a few aspects. One, he considers himself and Timothy bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, willing uh, willing slaves of Christ, those who have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus for the rest of their lives, joyfully doing so because they trust the leadership of their Savior. They trust the lordship of their Savior, and they're willing to give their lives to his will and his command. And then he addresses the saints, which are the holy ones, those who are the beloved, the called in Christ Jesus, as we studied in Jude. These are the believers, the church, specifically here, the church in Philippi. So he's addressing the believers. Uh, He's encouraging them, uh, including specifically the overseers and the deacons within the church. A little bit of a reference to the structure of the church, a little bit of a reference to the, uh, the leadership of the church. Um, You have servants and you have servant leaders and you have pastoral shepherds within that church uh, that the Lord had given to the Philippian church. And Paul's encouraging all of them and instructing them. And he tells them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them a kind of a blessing, a, a general hope for peace and the grace of God. And then we studied the uh, the attitude of prayer and thanksgiving that he has for his people, where he, he prays for them always specifically in joy and with this sense of koinonia. We're going to kind of come back to that concept again this morning, the sense of fellowship, which is not just any fellowship. It's a fellowship that specifically means communion, sharing something very specific in common. And in this case, they're specifically sharing in common the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is their salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ that they share on a spirit level uh, that binds them together. It's what gives them their fellowship. So it's deeper than just a shared, uh, uh, a common interest. 
It's a permanent change that they share in their lives. That is a rich blessing that causes Paul to have such a great joy and to abound with this joy and to want to express that joy to the brethren. So we kind of walk through that. And then in verse 6, it says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's that confidence we meditated on last week. Uh, this this confidence that God is doing a good work in his people and that good work is bigger than what we've already seen. It is a work that is, is completed in Christ Jesus and we will see completed as believers. It's something that God is doing and will finish and it gives us confidence. It fuels our hope and gives us joy. So this is a rock solid faith that we have in the work of God not in the work of our own hands, which, is, uh, which gives value to our faith. So then he says in verse 7, For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all. And that word feel uh, specifically means to think, to think this way. That word's used a number of times in the New Testament. Paul uses it in reference to thinking and to reasoning. He's saying, because of these things that I know, that I'm confident in, that I've seen and witnessed personally in my relationship with my Savior Jesus and in walking with you in the faith, because of these things, I'm thinking this way about you because I have you in my heart. Now, there's the feeling. Now, in my translation, it kind of swaps them. It says, I feel this way about you, but he's really, that's a reference to thinking and reasoning. But then when it comes to this phrase about having them in his heart, that's a reference to his feelings and his emotions. So his reasoning, what he actually knows about God and what he knows about his brethren and what he knows about his heart, the Lord has used to fuel an emotion and a feeling, which becomes what he calls an affection a Christ-like affection for the believers. And then he says, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. And there's that concept of koinonia again. It's a similar concept. It's actually a different word there, but it means fellowship. He's pulling these concepts together, meaning they have communion in the blood of Jesus Christ. They're walking together in the faith. And because they've shared in a, in a shared, they also now have a shared experience in the gospel. They've suffered together, which has added quality to their faith. It's added a depth that could not be replaced by anything else because he's in prison, but they were in a sense with him while he was in prison because they sent messengers to encourage him and to provide for him and to take care of him. And, and he sent those messengers back to care for them and to encourage them and to teach them where they were. They continued their fellowship even in the midst of this, this imprisonment. And then also he mentions the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They'd been working together to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the word apologia, which means doesn't mean to apologize. They're not apologizing for their faith. It means to give a defense. So they are using reasoning and logic and knowledge and wisdom to make a solid defense for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were doing this together with the church. Uh, Paul was working with them in this. They had a shared 
goal of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ by doing whatever is necessary to convince them of the truth. And then they shared in the confirmation of the gospel, which is a, a sharing in the fact that, that by their faith and living together in the faith, their confession of the faith has been proven to be true. There's evidence. It has been confirmed by the fruit of salvation in their lives and in the way that they're fellowshipping together. There was evidence that all this that they confessed, all that they were defending of the gospel, all, that, uh, all the reasons Paul was in prison are being proven to be true because of the faith and the joy and the fellowship they share, the fruit of salvation that is coming to bear in their lives. So because they have this shared experience, he has this knowledge of what God's doing in the church, what God's doing in him. He has this knowledge of what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus. He has this deep feeling in, the, in his heart and affection for the church where there's a place in his, in his heart for the people of God. It's not just something he does because it's his job. It's not just something he does because it's his religion or because that's how he grew up. In fact, he grew up differently. He grew up in a different kind of religion. And was very good at it. But this is a very new thing for him. This is very different. This is very real. And, and because of this, he has an affection for his brethren because they've walked through these things. So the first thing that we see is um, that because of Paul's deep sense of koinonia, this deep sense of uh, communion that he has with his brethren, which is a, you know, a shared sense of salvation and ministry with his brothers and sisters, he longed for them with Christ-like affection and love. Now, that is a, a desire to be with them. It's an affection that should be present in the heart of, in all of our hearts for all of our brethren. It is something I believe is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Lord produces in us as we abide with Christ and as we walk with one another in this way, as we see in Paul by this example, we should see an affection in our hearts, not just in our minds. We can reason that it makes sense and it's logical for me to love you. But a feeling, a genuine feeling and affection of love should be growing as we are walking together in our faith. And as we are suffering together and striving together for the sake of the gospel. And if you've been with our fellowship long enough, um, I know that there, there are a number, all, those of you who've been here for any amount of time, uh, we've walked through numerous things, even in the short life of this fellowship. We're about three years old at this point. In fact, we just kind of just came across our birthday, the beginning of January. Um, so we're right at about three years old as a fellowship, but we have walked through some difficulties already as a church. And those difficult, we haven't been persecuted, we haven't been placed in prison, uh, but we've been through some hardships. And ultimately the hardships, I think, come from, from just walking through each other's pain and being there for each other in each other's doubts and difficulties and struggles with sin. Uh, we've seen brothers and sisters fall. And we've, and we've grieved over that. We've seen uh, brothers and sisters come and go for various reasons, and we've grieved that. And we've walked with brothers and sisters through painful circumstances and, and prayed with each other on the floor of each other's living rooms, and these have been unique circumstances. And I, I personally have been richly blessed on a, on a 
in my personal faith to have brothers and sisters to walk with through those things. And I would hope that as we go as a church and as we continue to grow and as we continue to walk together, that it doesn't just make sense for you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, but your affection for your Christian family is growing. And so we see that in Paul, and he, this is what he says in verse 8. You know, he says, well, in 7, he says, It's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. So that's kind of all, you know, we're sharing in this participation of the gospel. In verse 8, for God is my witness, meaning, meaning God sees my heart. He knows my heart. God will testify on my behalf that I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you here. I love you, is what he says. I love you, and I'm not lying to you. God will testify on my behalf if that's necessary. He says, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He longs to be with the fellowship. And this is a great example in God's word that shows uh, that Christian fellowship is, is not only biblical, but it's, it's necessary. We are designed by God to be in communion with people. We need fellowship, not just friends, but Christian brothers and sisters and family members. And we need, we need this, this longing and this affection between us that will cause a change in our lives and continue to, to fuel our growth in Christ Jesus. And it will disciple um, it will disciple the fellowship as we walk in this way. So it should be present. It's a sharing in the faith of the go- faith and gospel and Christian life. It should result in this affection. Um, and we, I think we will especially see it in suffering. And I think because of what Paul went through with the Philippian church and where he's at now in prison, this affection grew more and more with time. And I believe that as we go through the difficulties of life, if we bind ourselves together and remain in fellowship, as difficult as that might be, we find our affection growing nonetheless. For instance, difficult things like a virus that causes the entire world to be completely changed, to be shut down on numerous levels. And regardless of the politics and what the reasons are and where the actual truth is, the fact is the church has been affected. The fact is for a season we had to close these doors and we had to meet online. And even when we came back, it was different. It was weird. It was difficult. And those of the fellowship who made the effort to continue to connect on a spirit level, even if we had to do it through media, some form of media or technology, it was difficult. It was weird. You know, we had to look at somebody across a computer and try to talk about what's going on in our heart. And in in a group setting where people are interrupting each other and the sound is messed up and the internet's glitching and you hear half of a sermon and then, you know, it goes out and then when it comes back, it's in an awkward spot and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? You know, it's weird and it's awkward, but I don't know if, if you experienced this, but for me personally, when the church made the effort to overcome that difficulty 
for the sake of seeing each other's faces and hearing each other's voices and hearing the word of God and singing songs in our own living rooms, even if you were in your pajamas and eating bacon, um, you were, I, I grew in my affection for my brothers and sisters in Christ because I could tell there was a love and a desire for us as a family that went beyond how comfortable this environment is, that we've got nice floor and clean paint and, you know, uh, a little bit of a sound system, you know. Um, that's not what makes a church. What makes a church is koinonia in Christ Jesus. And, you know, that's to me when I think also I read sometimes from Voice of the Martyrs and I, I try to stay in touch with things that are going on around the world with the body of Christ as a whole and when I read about the suffering that's going on in other church fellowships, I consider the suffering that we endured in 2020 to be pretty minimal uh, on, a, on a corporate level, on a corporate level. And I think individually, there are some of us who have suffered in deep, deep ways. So I don't mean to minimize that. But I do know that a little bit of discomfort is kind of hard to call suffering given a, a greater context. But I do know that any sense of suffering as we strive together for the sake of the gospel, it will deepen and strengthen our faith and our affection for one another. And Paul, I believe, was illustrating that in the way he was expressing that to the Philippian church. He says, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It should be that if something were to happen, if you were to get the coronavirus and have to quarantine for two weeks, Something should happen in your heart that makes you say, I long to be back with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't wait for this to be over because I miss my Christian family. I need them. And because of the gospel, not being prideful, I know they need me as well. And which is true. Which is true. It should happen if you get caught up with work and uh, your employers have loaded up extra hours and you're working overtime and they've changed your schedule and they've forced you to have to miss church and or church fellowship in order to work more. After a season of time, you should begin to feel a longing in your heart that makes you want to be back with your church fellowship. You know, when I hear a church member say, I got a new job and I, I really love the job, but it's caused me to miss um, fellowship time that I used to have. It's making me want to quit my job and find a different job. That's, that's a difficult choice to make. Sometimes we have to have good jobs. The Lord tells us to provide for our families. The Lord tells us to work. Those are good things. But it's also a sign of a good thing happening in your heart if it's making you reconsider where you work so that you can be where your, where your fellowship is. And so these are good things that should be taking place in our hearts with the fellowship. And then look at verse 9. So we see that because of Paul's deep sense of koinonia, he, he longed for them with a Christ-like affection and love. Uh, and then look at verse 9. We see that because of his deep sense of koinonia, um, he prayed for... Uh, the church. Now, let's go back before we dive into verse 9. Let's go back to verse 4 and 5. He says, always, or in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So that's prayer. He's giving thanks to God. That's prayer. 
He's giving thanks to God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of the participation. That's the koinonia. So because of his sense of communion, he is always praying for them. He's praying with joy and he's praying with thanksgiving. But now we see a little bit. He gives us a glimpse of the content of his prayer. What exactly is he always praying for on behalf of his brothers and sisters of Christ whom he loves and he longs to see on a regular basis? What is he actually praying for? And this is a good question to ask because I think it's a good example. There's a number of things we could and should pray for one another. But if the content of our prayers is always about ourselves, it could indicate that uh, the focus of our heart is always on ourselves. If the content of our prayers is always on the physical things, even for those people among our brethren, it could indicate that our hearts are merely focused on the physical and the temporal. But if you'll notice something when we read these things that Paul prayed for on behalf of his brothers and sisters in Christ, he was praying for deep spiritual things to take place, ultimately for the glory of God through the church. Now, I don't think that's to minimize the importance of praying for the little things. The Lord tells us when we have need, we pray. We don't have because we don't ask. There are times when we need to pray on behalf of very real things that are very, very temporal, but physical things that are happening today that are very hurtful and hard and difficult. We need to pray through those things. But these are some things that are also uh, that should also be part of our prayer for our brethren and for ourselves. Let's take a look at some of these. In verse 9, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, these things build on each other. So it's not exactly just a list of, here's ten things you can pray for, here's five things you can pray for, three things you can pray for. He's praying for one thing, knowing that it's going to result in another thing. And he's praying for that, that knowing that it will result in something else. Ultimately, that it will all result in the praise and glory of Christ Jesus. But the first thing he prays for is that their love may abound still more and more. Now, notice there's an assumption there. There's an assumption that they already have love for one another. Because he's praying that their love will abound more and more. That's to abound is to excel, to be exceeding, to have an excessive amount He wants them not to just love one another and to love, I think here also specifically God. He's compelling them to love the Lord, their God. If we can uh, connect this back to the summary of all of the law and prophets, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's compelling, he's assuming, one, that the church loves their, their neighbor, loves their Christian brethren, and loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he is compelling them. He's praying that God would help them to to grow in that love, to abound more, not just more, but more and more, to continue. That's a continual growing and abounding in love. So there's not a point at which they they, they grow in love for their brethren and they've maxed out their ability to love. He's praying that the Holy Spirit of God would be so present in the lives of these believers that he would actively be growing their love to the extent, specifically, notice what he wants them to grow in. 
He says he wants them to grow in still, to abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. To re- real knowledge and all discernment. Now, uh, it is kind of interesting, maybe even a little difficult to try to figure out how knowledge and discernment connects with love. Because he wants, he's saying, he's praying for love, that it would abound more and more in real knowledge. That their love would abound more and more in discernment. And I think Paul knows that, um, that without truth, they can't truly love. Or they're not going to love the right way, or they're not going to love the right things. They're not going to understand what love is. Without discernment, which is good judgment, the ability to discern between, um, to, between what is evil and what is good, what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. Without the ability to master discernment with knowledge and truth, they're not going to be able to love one another as they should, and they're not going to be able to love God as they should. After all, we know that loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is a summary of the law. Summary of the law. So, so if you don't know the law, if you don't know the holiness of God, if you don't know the nature of God and what God loves and what God hates and what God demands and what God expects, then you can't love God. And if you don't know what God demands of how we ought to love one another as a church and what scripture says about how the church ought to function and act and believe and and um, and how we ought to, to uh, minister to one another and, and edify one another and disciple one another and be patient with one another and pour out grace to one another and, and, um, and lead one another. Without knowledge of how Christ wants us to do that, we can't actually do it. We can't love each other that way. So again, I think we can look back at Paul's confidence. What was he confident in? He was confident that God began a good work. How, does he, how can he be confident that God began a good work? It's because of his knowledge of God. How can he be confident that God will finish his work? It's because of his knowledge of God. How can he be confident that God's doing that in his brethren? Well, it's because of his knowledge and what God's taught him. And it's through those things that his hope and his love and his affection was fueled. It was given it was given ground to grow through knowledge of the truth. And I believe there's, there's one common factor. If you were to study churches that have uh, at one time been vibrantly growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and at another dissolved into chaos and destruction and disorder, a common factor is going to be it somewhere along the lines uh, false teaching was introduced or a false belief came to be and division came between the hearts of the people because of a lack of knowledge of God and confidence in God and knowledge of the truth and, and what is good and what is biblical. There, became, there at some point, there was a straying from the word of God. And I believe that Paul is praying to the Lord that he will preserve this fellowship in Philippi. God, please help their love for you and for the church to abound. Don't let it grow stale. Don't let it grow cold. Don't let um, 
false teaching or a lack of understanding caused them to harm that fellowship in their flesh. Don't allow their um, lack of good judgment to cause them to make bad decisions for the fellowship or to lead one another astray or to not see you correctly. Father, lead them to grow in love. They love you. They love each other. Don't let that die. He's praying, Lord, please cause it to excel. Cause it to excel more and more and more until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice what he says will happen as a result, he said, which is also part of his prayer. I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Because he knows that in their love, um, as they're loving one another and loving God and studying God and learning about God and growing in knowledge and all discernment and wisdom, that they will be able to see what is excellent and give approval to it. You know, there's a verse in Romans. Um, uh, I can't even, this is, this is coming to my heart right now. That's why I'm looking for it. But um, it's in Romans chapter 1. It's a reference to, uh, it's kind of a detailed explanation of the depravity of man and sinfulness. And he talks about... Um, Verse 32, he says, And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things, and such things being some sinful things that he listed in chapter 1, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And so he, he was indicating, Paul was indicating to the Roman church that that it is possible to not only practice sin, but to give hearty approval to sin. And giving hearty approval to sin was equivalent to practicing the sin. And here in Philippians, he's praying that God will preserve their love and preserve their fellowship, preserve that koinonia and knowledge and good discernment so that they will see what is excellent and give approval to what is excellent which would by default cause them to not give approval to the things that he, he describes in Romans chapter 1. It protects the church from sin. To grow in knowledge and understanding of God and his word and the work that he's accomplished in our lives through Jesus Christ sheds light on what is sinful and it causes our heart's affection not to just grow for the church, but also to grow for God in such a way that we love doing what God loves. Our affection for his law grows. We want to honor him and to obey him to the extent that when we see sin, it, it causes us disdain and it causes us a desire to, to push it away and to repent of those things, and to die to that, and to not touch it, because that is the result, or the results of that is what put Christ on the cross. It should grieve our hearts. And so he's saying the results of us growing in knowledge and discernment and love is that we will approve the things that are excellent. And then, notice what else he says, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. He's praying that this church will be genuine in their love for one another. It will not become lip service. It will not become something they just say to each other because that's the Christian thing to do. Or because that's what we have traditionally done. That it's, you know, we've learned the, the church lingo. We know how to talk to each other in order to sound righteous. 
He says he wants them to be sincere and blameless to the extent that, that they are walking in a way that is pleasing to God. How long? Until the day of Christ Jesus. Now we're going to see that phrase pop up a few times in Philippians. This is the second time already that we've seen that phrase. Until the day of Christ Jesus which is another reason for us to rejoice, is that we always have that in view, the day of Christ Jesus. And the Lord is producing the fruit of righteousness in our lives. He is producing this love, this abounding love, this knowledge and discernment. He is producing this in our hearts. And, and hopefully, prayerfully, this will be growing until the Lord takes us home or until the day he returns. That is what we look forward to. And so then notice he says in verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, now this is kind of a, um, he's, he's, it's, he's saying having been, that's a past tense. He's assuming that they are filled with the fruit of righteousness. So as believers, this is true about us. What is the fruit? What, where is the source of righteousness in our lives? It's in Jesus. When did we come to be able to call ourselves Christians or saints or holy ones. It was when we came to have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and His blood to pay the price for all of our sins. That, that faith that the Lord created in our hearts um, accomplished the, the righteousness that we need to uh, meet the approval of God already. But Paul tells us in his word that we still have the tendency to walk in the flesh. We still have, he says, even though I agree with my mind and with my heart with the law of God, and I love it and I want to walk in God's ways, he says, my flesh says otherwise. My flesh wants me to do something opposite. So Paul knows our tendency, but he's telling us having been filled with righteousness, he's praying that we will continue to bear the fruit of that righteousness, evidence of a righteousness, it's one thing to be a fruit tree. It's another thing to, bear, to, to be a fruit tree that bears fruit. A fruit tree that bears fruit gives evidence that that's actually a fruit tree. Have you ever seen a tree with, I guess around here, maybe peaches on it? Or, I don't know, I've never seen a peach tree in Georgia, actually. I don't know. Um, but, um, so, have you seen an apple tree? Have you ever seen an apple tree and wondered if it was a fruit tree? If it had apples on it, did you wonder if it was a fruit tree? Hmm, it's got apples on it. It might be a fruit tree, but I'm just not sure. If it's got apples on it, you're pretty confident it's a fruit tree. If it doesn't have apples on it, I think it's fair to ask the question, is that a fruit tree? You might recognize the leaves, and you might recognize if you're smart and you know fruit trees. You might be able to be like, I think that's an apple tree. Or I think that's a pecan tree. Is pecan fruit? I don't know. Anyways, so, um, so but if you, if you... But I think that's what the, Lord, the Lord's indicating to us a little bit through Paul. He's saying, he's saying, you have Christ in you. It's been accomplished. The righteousness of Christ necessary to meet the approval of God is in your life. But he wants the church to continue to give evidence of that change that has taken place in the life of the believer. And it is possible for a church to stop bearing fruit. Whenever we stray from growing in our love and abounding more and more in knowledge and discernment. And so he's saying, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. This is where it comes. So we can't make claims to any of our fruit. We can't say, look at me, I've done pretty good. I'm growing in knowledge, I'm growing in discernment, 
I think I'm a pretty good Christian at this point. You know, I don't think we can make a claim to any of our efforts to boast. But as Paul says, we can only boast in Christ Jesus. But we are given the privilege of rejoicing in it because of the work of Christ Jesus. So when you do see the fruit of righteousness produced in your life, it is okay to rejoice that the Lord's changing your heart, that the Lord is producing evidence of what's taking place inside. I don't know if you're um, like me, but whenever I see sin in my life, um, as a believer, it grieves my heart. I feel ashamed. It causes me to repent. It causes me to confess that to my Lord and to ask for forgiveness, even though I know I'm already forgiven. It causes me to uh, cry out for help, for repentance. But it also makes me desire that the Spirit of God would produce in me the opposite of that. That the opposite of that, that, that what is righteous would come out of me more naturally than what is unrighteous. I should not be producing rotten fruit if I am a believer. And so then he says, to the glory and praise of God. Ultimately, all of it should result in the praise and glory of God. And that's his desire. Ultimately, Paul's desire is the glory of God on earth. To see mankind praising God and glorifying God by walking in the righteousness of God, bearing fruit of that righteousness and the church functioning the way God's called. All of it, all of it is for the purpose of giving praise and glory to God. Our existence, the reason we fellowship together is a, we are a small representation of the kingdom of God. And we should give evidence in our fellowship and the way we function together as believers should testify to the world praise and glory to God. Even if they don't believe anything we say, even if they don't like anything we do, they still see us giving praise and glory to God. We exist right here in the 21st century in this little spot in Hogansville for the purpose of lifting praise and glory to God from this location, from this, from this spot, or wherever the Lord's placed you in your places of employments or in your families or in your circles. We are, we are spots of glory on this planet. And Paul is praying that God will accomplish this work in his church. So I think it is good for us. If you hear of a need in a brother or sister in Christ where they're hurting or struggling, it can be as trivial as, um, you know, getting laid off. Well, getting laid off from work is not trivial. But um, it could be, a, you know, anything. I don't, I don't try to trivialize anything, but it could be anything. Pray for the little things with love and care and concern. Paul says in Romans 12, 15, he says that we're to, he, he commands the church to weep when one another weeps and rejoice when one another rejoices. We can't do that if we're not fellowshipping. And when we get together and then we, we have to be transparent about what hurts us. So then you can see the compassion of Christ come out of your brothers and sisters when they weep with you. Or when they show up at your door. Or when they call you on the phone. You know, or, or to rejoice with one another. We should be seeing that. And as a result, I believe we will be giving God glory. We will be fulfilling what he's called us to fulfill as a church. So here's some things I'd like to encourage you to pray for um, as a result of seeing some of these verses this morning. Um, first of all, consider 
your affection for the church. Um, consider your affection for the church. Are you, do you see that growing in your life? Do you see an affection growing for, uh, in your brothers and sisters in this fellowship? Is in general, do you, do you believe that we as a fellowship uh, are growing in affection for one another? And I ask that question not to cause you to judge one another for that, but simply to do as Paul does, pray for that. Pray for that for one another, that God would help us to grow in affection for one another. Um, and if there is a lack of maybe understanding, knowledge of God or discernment in, in your life that might may cause you to say you're just not really sure about why you can really, how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, I would encourage you to pray that God would give you knowledge and discernment. Even if you think, well, let me put it this way. Even if you think you're knowledgeable and well discerning, I would encourage you to pray that God would help you to be knowledgeable, to grow in knowledge and discernment, and that it would affect your love. Knowledge has the ability to puff up. But Paul also knows that knowledge fuels a quality love. Pray that our knowledge will affect our love and our compassion and our affection for one another. So another question to ask is what is the content of our prayers for our church family? Is it driven by gratitude and joy and Christian love? Because that's what Paul's prayer was driven by. Joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. Are we praying for the works necessary in our fellowship that will result in the glory and praise of Christ Jesus, of God in Christ Jesus? Or are we just praying that our church will survive COVID and it'll be a great place we can all hang out, have, have a good time and treat each other nicely and feel good? Or are we praying for the rich things that will accomplish the glory of God through this fellowship? Pray for unity, pray for kindness, pray for patience, but pray for these things specifically, that we will grow in these things to the glory of God. Are we praying and seeking a love for God that abounds more and more? Do you see it growing? Are we seeking knowledge and discernment as a means of deepening our affections for the love of others? Are we seeking a sincere and blameless life until the end? Are we seeking to, to grow in righteousness, to see the fruit of righteousness produced in our lives? Are we seeking a life that personally glorifies God? So on two levels, I'd like to invite you to pray for this. One, pray for the church, that God would accomplish this in us as a fellowship. And on the other level, I'd like to encourage you to pray for yourself, that God would do this work in you, that he would produce the fruit of righteousness that only he can produce that he would produce blamelessness and sincerity as you seek to love your brethren and seek to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think ultimately this comes from abiding in Christ. I'm going to read as I finish 1 John 1, verse 1 through 4. This is what he says. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now that's a reference to Christ. So John is saying, you know, 
this, what I'm talking to you about has been in existence from the beginning. We've heard about it. We've seen it with our eyes. We've looked at it and touched it with our hands, specifically concerning Jesus Christ. So he's saying, we, we know Jesus. He's been in existence for all of eternity, but we've seen him. We've touched him. We've, um, we've walked with him. He says, look, he says, and the life was manifested. That means it became seen. Was manifested, and we have seen and testify. So now he's testifying. He's proclaiming. He's teaching. He's witnessing and proclaiming to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So the eternal life in Jesus, he has seen and he's giving witness to. It's been made evident to him. He's proclaiming it, what we have seen, what we've heard. We proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. So there's that, there's that fellowship again in Christ Jesus. And then he mentions, uh, and then he says that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So there is joy, there is fellowship, and there is salvation, all connected to Jesus Christ, the Word of Life. And it came through knowledge of the Word of Life. Here John is saying, we've seen it, we've heard it, we're bearing witness, and we're testifying of it. They came to know Christ, and as a result, they, they came to know fellowship with one another through fellowship with their Father, through fellowship with Jesus Christ, and it produced a deep joy in their lives through knowledge of Jesus Christ. And here in Philippians, Paul is saying, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more through knowledge and discernment. And I believe that knowledge and discernment is specifically about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. That's what will produce all of this. It's through our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is, he is the one who cultivates the fruit. So I would encourage you as brothers and sisters in Christ, pray that the Lord Jesus will do his work in your life. Abide with Christ and I believe you will see these things produced. I know you have an affection and a desire for our fellowship, and I invite you to pray these things um, along with us so that we together prayerfully will result in the praise and glory of God in Christ Jesus. And if you're at all struggling in your faith, what a, what a blessing to see that God has made possible for you to be able to fellowship with the God who created the world through his son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made for you. If you would trust in his work, then the Lord has promised to fellowship with you as your father in heaven. And you will know fellowship with Jesus and you will know fellowship with the Holy Spirit and you will know fellowship with the saints. But only through faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord Jesus for salvation. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.